0: County During her initial interviews with the police, Ms. Anastasi had a very stoic attitude, a very, this is just what it is, and I'm accepting of it. Do you think
1: he shot himself? I don't know. I didn't turn the lights
2: on in the room. Welcome to this podcast. It's brought to you by True Crime Live. I'm Will Hanrahan, and in episode one of Who Killed Jackie Riggs and Anthony Anastasi, We heard about the somewhat bizarre lives lived by Anne-Marie, her husband Tony, and his lover, Jackie Riggs. They were all living together under one roof. Anne-Marie had come home to find Tony and Jackie dead in the basement of their home. But in part one, we found out that the story Anne-Marie told the 911 operator, well, it all seemed a little rehearsed. It was around lunchtime on the 5th of October 2015 when Anne-Marie made her telephone call.
1: But he's not responding at all, and he's got his gun laying next to him in the bed. Do you think he shot himself? I don't know. I didn't turn the lights on in the room.
2: Investigative reporter Carolyn Canville and career homicide hunter Brian Harris, who works out of Houston, take up the story.
3: 911 is called.
1: I'm supposed to be leaving to take my husband to a doctor's appointment right now.
3: This 911 call? What a bizarre call. The person is conversational. There's not a sense of panic. There's no heavy breathing. It's very matter of fact. Hey, I came home and my husband's not breathing. He's laying on the bed. But he's not responding at all.
1: And he's got his gun laying next to him in the bed. Do you think he shot himself? I don't know. I didn't turn the lights on in the
3: room. I think he killed himself. You know, just very nonchalant, matter of fact, conversational, not panic. Where's that sheer panic? There's this gun
4: next to him.
2: Do you think he shot himself? Given the complexity of relationships, it might be easy to believe that was what happened. Bad stuff happens when bad things are done, right? The man who prosecuted this case was Jason Knight. Attorneys like Jason don't often give interviews. But this was a story he wanted to tell. Based on just what the officers found at the scene, just by looking at it before
0: they performed any sort of crime scene investigation, and based on that statement, it presented as a murder-suicide. That would be one viable story. Love gone
3: wrong, he's so distraught, it's in a personal attack, and then he can't live with what he did. If I can't have you, nobody will, so he kills himself. Might be a viable story. But you see, the evidence would show that that's completely different.
0: When the officers get there and they go upstairs to the master bedroom, they find Mr. Anastasi lying on his back in his bed, suffering from a single gunshot wound to the head with a pistol in his hand.
4: And Anne Marie says, well, you know, he was depressed. I mean, so he obviously killed himself. Anthony is lying face up with a single bullet wound, he's dead. There's a gun lying next to him.
2: Things at the scene rang alarm bells. The murder-suicide angle peddled by Anne-Marie, that wasn't looking likely.
3: Typically, anywhere between 12 and 18 inches, if I'm further away than that distance, when I pull the trigger, the entry wound will be
2: nice and clean. And this was no clean wound. As they descended the stairs to where they'd been told the body of Jackie Riggs lay the detectives, they could hear nothing but heavy metal music. That was what played them into the room.
0: They go downstairs and in the basement, they find Ms. Riggs laying on the ground. And they open the bedroom door and it's like a scene from Helter Skelter. It's a bloody,
3: brutal scene that they find. They find the body of yet another victim. Jacqueline Riggs.
4: There is blood everywhere. She's been stabbed 42 times. Imagine that.
3: 1, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38,
2: 39, 40, 41, 42. It was a picture that spoke of uncontrolled violence. As forensics and scenes of crime experts went about the grisly scene, what was Anne-Marie doing? Talking to the cops.
4: Meanwhile, police are questioning. Anne-Marie. They've got her downtown, and they're asking her questions. And Anne Marie keeps saying, "My husband committed suicide. I know he was depressed. It was a suicide." And they say, "Well, what about the other woman? The what? What about Jacqueline Riggs? She's got forty-two stab wounds. What?"
0: Ms. Anastasi's initial statement to the police was that she had heard Mr. Anastasi and Ms. Riggs engage in a heated argument in the basement of the home. He then came upstairs to the master bedroom, kicked her out of the bedroom, and then shut the door, and she never saw him alive again. Anne Marie, when the cops are talking to her,
3: they wanna know, what do you think happened? Which is a great question. What do you think happened, Anne Marie? She buys into it, and she says, I think, that Anthony killed Jacqueline, that he went down, they have a relationship, he kills her, and he can't live with himself for what he did, that he's so remorseful
0: that he shoots and kills himself. Ms. Anastasi presented herself in her interviews to the police as the grieving widow who loved her family, loved her husband, was willing to tolerate his indiscretions and was just devastated that this horrible event had befallen her and her family.
2: Within 48 hours of the 911 phone call reporting the murders of Jackie Riggs and Anthony Anastasi, investigators were skeptical about the story she was peddling. But the strength needed to inflict dozens of deep knife wounds on the body of Jackie, that suggested an athletic killer. Anne-Marie did not appear to have the strength for an attack like that. Either way, the cops did what detectives do all over the world now after a crime. They took away her cell phone. What story would the calls and messages tell?
4: Now they look at phone records, which is something cops often do. They examine Anne-Marie's phone and they find these text
2: messages. It's important at this point in our investigation to consider the app called Kik. Kik, it's like WhatsApp, but its special feature is that it preserves a user's anonymity. You can just register using any old name and you don't have to give a telephone number. By the autumn of 2015, anne Maria Anastasi, her 13-year-old daughter and her boyfriend Gabriel were communicating in what they thought was in effect a private chat room. But it's possible to get access to that content when you're the police. And that's something 18-year-old Gabriel didn't consider. He was communicating over Kick.
0: It's one of those apps that if you use it, it's supposed to delete after you use it. Like, so he was communicating with her over Kick and Snapchat and the things that teenagers do. The Kick messages,
2: they reveal the early bare bones of a murder plan.
0: In those
4: text messages, They're talking about a gun and the murder of two people.
3: A plan to kill Jacqueline and a plan to kill Anthony.
2: A plan involving 18-year-old Gabriel Struss. He's a young guy who'd had little prior contact with Anthony Anastasi and Jacqueline Riggs. No motive to kill them or harm them in any way. But this guy is someone who wants to please his girlfriend and her mother. Somehow, it didn't surprise us when we found out about his past.
0: Gabriel Struss was a young man who had a very difficult childhood. He's basically
4: sort of raised himself on the streets from the time he's seven.
0: He was adopted as a young man, subsequently left his adoptive family to return to his biological family. He wound up at the time of the murder living in very unfortunate conditions a few miles away from the Anastasis.
4: He's basically raised himself, period. He really didn't have a great growing up life. Basically kind of a homeless guy and kind of a guy who could be led.
0: He lived in a home that had no central heat. It had a wood-burning stove. The walls were covered in cardboard, had no money.
2: Now here comes the bombshell.
0: Ms. Anastasi promised Mr. Struss that upon carrying out these murders for her, he would be welcomed into the Anastasi
2: home. Anne-Marie knew how vulnerable Gabriel Struss was. She was happy to exploit him.
0: Because of Mr. Struss's extremely unfortunate upbringing and background, that seemed like a worthwhile deal to make. This
4: young boy, he's 18, but He's not terribly sophisticated, hasn't had a great upbringing, doesn't, he's kind of gullible.
3: Gabriel's probably not the sharpest tack in the box. He wants one thing, and he's gonna do whatever he has to do to please. And by doing so, if he gains the favor of Anne Marie,
0: he's gonna do it. Mr. Struss was uniquely positioned to fall victim to Ms. Anastasi's manipulations.
4: So now you have the story of this scorned wife who has convinced her daughter to join her in this plot? And oh, let's get your boyfriend to do the dirty work for us.
2: Of course, Gabriel could have walked away, but he didn't, which means Anne-Marie got to make the call she planned.
1: But he's not responding at all. and He's got his gun laying next to him in the bed. Do you think he shot himself? I don't know. I didn't turn the lights on in the room.
2: What happens next is simply the unravelling of lies told by a cold-hearted organiser of murder.
3: As a detective, I often warn other detectives, don't judge people on the way that they grieve. However, when you look at the behaviour of Anne-Marie, is it just bizarre behaviour and she's in shock? or is this well thought
0: of responses to questions? During the course of Ms. Anastasi's first interview with the police, they advised her that they had discovered Ms. Riggs's body in the basement and that she had also been murdered. Ms. Anastasi hardly registered any response or emotion at all.
4: Police discover that the gun lying next to Anthony doesn't match the bullet that came from his body there 's no way that that bullet could have come from that gun
0: mr anastasi had a forty five caliber semi automatic pistol in his hand. The police could not find a forty five caliber shell casing in the bedroom. They subsequently were able to find a three eighty caliber shell casing in the bedroom that was analyzed by the firearms examiner for the Anorta County Police Department who gave a definitive conclusion that you could not fire a 380 bullet from the 45 caliber handgun. Mr. Anastasi's autopsy came back to reveal that the round in his head was in fact a 380 caliber bullet. Once you know Mr. Anastasi was killed by the 380 caliber bullet, they knew that the 45 caliber handgun that was in Mr. Anastasi's hand was not the murder weapon.
3: It's a completely different weapon. So that means somebody planted that weapon there. This is murder has murder written
2: all over it. If you've ever wondered what someone in an interview with police sounds like under interrogation, here goes. We tracked this down from the investigation files played in court.
1: Two people were murdered in your home, brutally murdered.
0: Okay, and you didn't know what happened?
1: No.
3: At any murder scene, one of the basic things you would do if there's gunshots that are involved, we would do what's called a GSR test, a gunshot residue test.
0: She consented to having her hands and her clothing tested for the presence of gunshot residue. So she voluntarily gave up her clothes. There's a couple things that I need to clear up real
3: quick.
2: Certainly. The tests that they took from your clothes and your hands,
3: mm-hmm.
2: well, they were all sent off.
1: Probably found lots of cat milk on there.
2: Well, we found a lot of gunshot residue on you and on the, on the clothes. Really? Yeah.
3: That's weird. She's got a lot of explaining to do.
4: So now you have a gun that's not matching up, you've got two people dead, you've got gunshot residue on the wife, what do they have on their hands? Now, this is clearly not just a murder-suicide.
0: They also took her while she was at the police station on the first night, and she agreed to undergo a polygraph examination.
2: You have a failed polygraph. You're not just failing, you flunked the hell out of it. Have you been untruthful during this investigation?
1: No. Did you shoot your
0: husband? No. During the course of the polygraph examination, she did poorly on questions regarding what happened and the exact details, whether she was involved, if she knew what happened.
2: It certainly felt to detectives as though the net was closing in on Anne-Marie Anastasi. But did they have enough evidence to charge her with a double homicide?
0: The combination of the failed polygraph, Ms. Anastasi's story not being completely logical and the subsequent evidence that the police developed regarding the firearm, regarding the gunshot residue, that all led to identifying her as the prime suspect.
3: At this point in the investigation, you have the 911 call, you have the bizarre explanation and story from Anne Marie, and then her explanation that, I think Anthony killed himself, but that's not enough. You need more than a detective's gut feeling this woman's involved.
2: It was time to talk to Gabriel Struss. In those messages Anne-Marie and her daughter thought were concealed on the Kick Messenger app, the three had talked about getting a gun and a knife and when to carry out a murder. Gabriel, the callow kid, vulnerable to, and just 18, was holed in.
3: Gabriel, when he's confronted, a rock could have taken his confession. Gabriel right away, freely, starts flowing with the story of what took place takes responsibility, lays it all out, and explains exactly what happened. He confesses right away,
4: I did it. I'm involved. Yes, I killed them, but I'm not the one who masterminded it. It was her idea. And then the story starts coming out.
3: On October 4th, 2015, Anne Marie hands Gabriel the handgun
0: and a knife. Mr. Struss told us that the night of the murder, he was picked up by Ms. Anastasi in her car and driven to the Anastasi home. He got out of the car and hid in the yard for some amount of time that he could not specify because he claimed to have actually fallen asleep out in the yard while he was out there. At some point in the middle of the night, he received a message on his phone calling him into the house.
4: So he meets Anne-Marie in the kitchen of the home. And then that night, Gabriel has the gun in one hand, the knife in the other. He sticks the gun in his pocket and he goes down the stairs to Jacqueline's bedroom where she's sleeping.
2: And Marie gives him his final brief. She knows
3: that she has to make Jacqueline's death look like a crime of passion, of rage.
2: Gabriel Struss headed for the basement, the room where Jacqueline Riggs slept, and he struck using the knife given to him by Anne-Marie Anastasi.
0: Ms. Riggs did not die right away from one stab wound. A common misperception from movies and TV is if you stab someone once, it, they just die. But the reality is that Ms. Riggs was stabbed and woke up and fight or flight kicked in and Ms. Riggs started putting up quite a fight. When
3: she hands Gabriel the knife, she wants to make it personal. Mr. Struss
0: had to stab her multiple times all over the chest, the head, the face, before he was able to actually kill her. It was a very just brutal, gruesome scene in the basement with the amount of times he had to stab her and the amount of force he had to use to actually kill Ms. Riggs. She was fighting for her life and she did everything she could to ward off Mr. Struss. It's all part of her premeditated
3: plan to lay out to the police that Anthony, and Jacqueline were involved, that their relationship was ending, that he couldn't handle it and went crazy on her, and then he couldn't deal without living with his love of his life, Jacqueline, so he killed himself.
0: He then went upstairs and stood a couple feet away from Mr. Anastasi's bed and fired the one round into Mr. Anastasi's head. He then left the home and went back over to his home in the Annapolis area for the rest of the night. Ms. Anastasi, from what we are able to gather, went and took the 45 caliber handgun that Mr. Anastasi had under his pillow at night out from under the pillow and put that into his hand to make it look as if he had shot himself. And then according to the statement that she gave the police, she subsequently went and crawled in bed in a different room and slept until the morning.
2: It was Gabriel who outlined what had actually happened. It was Gabriel who'd pulled the trigger, but he was a puppet whose strings were being pulled by Anne-Marie. Her actions after both Mr.
0: Anastasi and Ms. Riggs were dead were exactly that of someone who had a plan. And that's one of the main things we relied on in determining to charge her with first-degree premeditated murder, because obviously she had this plan leading up to Mr. Anastasi and Mrs. Riggs' death, but then she clearly had thought through the entire crime, not just how to commit it, but then she had a plan for after it was committed for how to try
2: to get away with it. Gabriel Struss admitted murder, He's expressed his sorrow and his regret for his role in taking the lives of Anthony Anastasi and Jacqueline Riggs. The same can't be said for the woman who masterminded the plan. She opted not to contest the evidence. She never admitted to murder itself. So Anne-Marie takes this special
4: plea, this Alfred deal, that allows her to avoid saying, I did it. She never has to admit it. She doesn't take responsibility for it.
3: What it tells me has a fellow human being, has a homicide detective. Anne-Marie, she never accepts responsibility, never shows any remorse. There's never an opportunity to see any kind of human side, human emotional side of Anne-Marie.
2: Anne-Marie's teenage daughter, manipulated by her mother into a conspiracy to kill, she's also suffering the consequences of her parents' volatile marriage. Her case
3: is handled in juvenile court. Hopefully there'll be some treatment, there'll be some programs. She'll go on, she'll have school, but her, her life is in a confined environment. And when she turns 21, there'll be another hearing per se to determine whether or not she should now go on to adult prison or... Is she at the point now where those were actions of somebody, of a child, that didn't really understand the system? Have they rehabilitated her and she'll be released?
4: What kind of a mother does this? She's so angry at her husband. She's feeling so betrayed because he's left her and and her 18-year marriage is over with because of this woman, this younger woman. You are so mad. You want them gone, but you can't do it. So you actually get your young daughter involved in this murder plot and get her boyfriend involved in this murder plot. How can a mother live with herself? How can a mother do this and then never accept responsibility for it and never show any remorse?
3: The havoc she left behind and she could still never take full responsibility, but she receives a 60 year sentence as if she was the one that pulled the trigger as if she was the one who plunged the knife 42 times into Jacqueline Riggs.
0: She wanted this done, she was willing to set the wheels in motion, but then she destroyed other lives in the process of doing what she was not willing to do herself.
2: Gabriel Struss, and it seems unfair to me, but he was also sentenced to 60 years, The then 13-year-old daughter of Anne-Marie Anastasi, she'll have her sentence reviewed as she grows older. This has been a podcast from True Crime Live. If you live in Britain, you can choose to meet the team behind True Crime Documentaries, currently airing all over the world and produced by First Look TV. In October 2020 in Birmingham, England, you'll get the chance to speak in person to the man who captured one of Britain's most notorious killers, Levi Belfield. You'll be able to interview the barrister who defended a woman who hired her own husband and son to kill her lover. And you'll be able to speak to some of the top forensic psychologists who help police create profiles of the killers that they want to put behind bars. It's looking like a very interesting day. Come and join us. You can say hello to me too, if you come. I'm Will Hanrahan, and you can hear me next time on the True Crime Live podcast.